Section two of City of Endless Night by Milo Hastings. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter two. I explore the potash mines of Stosfurt and find a diary in a dead man's pocket. When I was twenty-four years old, my uncle was killed in a laboratory explosion. He had been a scientist of renown and a chemical inventor who had devoted his life to the unravelling of the secrets of the synthetic foods of germany for some years i had been his trusted assistant in our chicago laboratory were carefully preserved food samples that had been taken from the captured submarines in years gone by and what to me was even more fascinating a collection of german books of like origin which i had read with avidity with the exception of those relating to submarine navigation i found them stupidly childish and decided that they had been prepared to hide the truth and not reveal it my uncle had bequeathed me both his work and his fortune but despairing of my ability worthily to continue his own brilliant researches on synthetic food i turned my attention to the potash problem in which i had long been interested my reading of early chemical works had given me a particular interest in the reclamation of the abandoned potash mines of stosfurt these mines as any student of chemical history will know were one of the richest properties of the old german state in the days before the endless war began and germany became isolated from the rest of the world the mines were captured by the world in the year twenty twenty and were profitably operated for a couple of decades meanwhile the german lines were forced many miles to the rear before the impregnable barrier of the ray had halted the progress of the world armies a few years after the coming of the ray defences occurred what history records as the tragedy of the mines six thousand workmen went down into the potash mines of stosfurt one morning and never came up again the miners families and the neighbouring villages died like weevils in fumigated grain the region became a valley of pestilence and death and all life withered for miles around numerous governmental projects were launched for the recovery of the potash mines but all failed and for one hundred and eleven years no man had penetrated those accursed shafts knowing these facts i wasted no time in soliciting government aid for my project but was content to secure a permit to attempt the recovery with private funds with which my uncle's fortune supplied me in abundance in april twenty one fifty one i set up my laboratory on the edge of the area of death i had never accepted the orthodox view as to the composition of the gas that issued from the stosfurt mines in a few months i was gratified to find my doubts confirmed a short time after this i made a more unexpected and astonishing discovery i found that this complex and hitherto misunderstood gas could under the influence of certain high-frequency electrical discharges be made to combine with explosive violence with the nitrogen of the atmosphere leaving only a harmless residue 
we wired the surrounding region for the electrical discharge and with a vast explosion of weird purple flame cleared the whole area of the century-old curse our laboratory was destroyed by the explosion it was rebuilt nearer the mine shafts from which the gas still slowly issued again we set up our electrical machinery and dropped our cables into the shafts this time clearing the air of the mines a hasty exploration revealed the fact that but a single shaft had remained intact a third time we prepared our electrical machinery we let down a cable and succeeded in getting but a faint reaction at the bottom of the shaft after several repeated clearings we risked descent upon arrival at the bottom we were surprised to find it free from water save for a trickling stream the second thing we discovered was a pile of huddled skeletons of the workmen who had perished over a century previous but our third and most important discovery was a boring from which the poisonous gas was slowly issuing it took but a few hours to provide an apparatus to fire this gas as fast as it issued and the potash mines of stassfurt were regained for the world my associates were for beginning mining operations at once but i had been granted a twenty years franchise on the output of these mines and i was in no such haste the boring from which this poisonous vapour issued was clearly man-made moreover i alone knew the formula of that gas and had convinced myself once for all as to its man-made origin i sent for microphones and with their aid speedily detected the sound of machinery in other workings beneath it is easy now to see that i erred in risking my own life as i did without the precaution of confiding the secret of my discovery to others but those were days of feverish excitement impulsively i decided to make the first attack on the germans as a private enterprise and then call for military aid i had my own equipment of poisonous bombs and my sapping and mining experts determined that the german workings were but eighty meters beneath us hastily among the crumbling skeletons we set up our electrical boring machinery and began sinking a one-meter shaft towards the nearest sound after twenty hours of boring the drill head suddenly came off and rattled down into a cavern we saw a light and heard guttural shouting below and the cracking of a gun as a few bullets spattered against the roof of our chamber we heaved down our gas bombs and covered over our shaft within a few hours the light below went out and our microphones failed to detect any sound from the rocks beneath us it was then perhaps that i should have called for military aid but the uncanny silence of the lower workings proved too much for my eager curiosity we waited two days and still there was no evidence of life below i knew there had been ample time for the gas from our bombs to have been dissipated as it was decomposed by contact with moisture a light was lowered but this brought forth no response i now called for a volunteer to descend the shaft none was forthcoming from among my men and against their protest i insisted on being lowered into the shaft when i was a few metres from the bottom the cable parted and i fell and lay stunned on the floor below 
Part Two. When I recovered consciousness, the light had gone out. There was no sound about me. I shouted up the shaft above and could get no answer. The chamber in which I lay was many times my height, and I could make nothing out in the dark hole above. For some hours I scarcely stirred and feared to burn my pocket flash, both because it might reveal my presence to lurking enemies, and because I wished to conserve my battery against graver need. But no rescue came from my men above. Only recently, after the lapse of years, did I learn the cause of their deserting me. As I lay stunned from my fall, my men, unable to get answer to their shoutings, had given me up for dead. Meanwhile, the apparatus which caused the destruction of the German gas had gone wrong. My associates, unable to fix it, had fled from the mine and abandoned the enterprise. After some hours of waiting, I stirred about, and found means to erect a rough scaffold, and reach the mouth of the shaft above me. I attempted to climb, but unable to get a hold of the smooth wet rock, I gave up, exhausted and despairing. Entombed in the depths of the earth, I was either a prisoner of the German potash miners, if any remained alive, or a prisoner of the earth itself, with dead men for company. Collecting my courage, I set about to explore my surroundings. I found some mining machinery, evidently damaged by the explosion of our gas bombs. There was no evidence of men about, living or dead. Stealthily, I set out along the little railway track that ran through a passage down a steep incline. As I progressed, I felt the air rapidly becoming colder. Presently, I stumbled upon the first victim of our gas bombs— fallen headlong as he was fleeing i hurried on the air seemed to be blowing in my face and the cold was becoming intense this puzzled me for at this depth the temperature should have been above that on the surface of the earth after a hundred metres or so of going i came into a larger chamber it was intensely cold from out another branching passageway i could hear a sizzling sound as of steam escaping i started to turn into this passage but was met with such a blast of cold air that i dared not face it for fear of being frozen stamping my feet which were fast becoming numb i made the rounds of the chamber and examined the dead miners that were tumbled about the bodies were frozen one side of this chamber was partitioned off with some sort of metal wall the door stood blown open. It felt a little warmer in here, and I entered and closed the door. Exploring the room with my dim light, I found one side of it filled with a row of bunks, in each bunk a corpse. Along the other side of the room was a table with eating utensils, and back of this were shelves with food packages. I was in danger of freezing to death, and, tumbling several bodies out of the bunks, I took the mattresses and built of them a clumsy enclosure, and installed in their midst a battery heater which I found. In this fashion I managed to get fairly warm again. After some hours of huddling I observed that the temperature had moderated. My fear of freezing abated. I made another survey of my surroundings, and discovered something that had escaped my first attention. In the far end of the room was a desk, and seated before it, with his head fallen forward on his arms, was the form of a man. 
the miners had all been dressed in coarse artificial leather but this man was dressed in a woven fabric of cellulose silk the body was frozen as i tumbled it stiffly back it fell from the chair exposing a ghastly face i drew away in a creepy horror for as i looked at the face of the corpse i suffered a sort of waking nightmare in which i imagined that i was gazing at my own dead countenance i concluded that my normal mind was slipping out of gear and proceeded to back off and avail myself of a tube of stimulant which i carried in my pocket this revived me somewhat but again when i tried to look upon the frozen face the conviction returned that i was looking at my own dead self i glanced at my watch and figured out that i had been in the german mine for thirty hours and had not tasted food or drink for nearly forty hours clearly i had to get myself in shape to escape hallucinations i went back to the shelves and proceeded to look for food and drink happily due to my work in my uncle's laboratory these synthetic foods were not wholly strange to me i drank copiously of a non-alcoholic chemical liquor and warmed on the heater and partook of some nitrogenous and some starchy porridges it was an uncanny dining-place but hunger soon conquers mere emotion and i made out a meal then once more i faced the task of confronting this dead likeness of myself this time i was clear-headed enough i even went to the miner's lavatory and jerking down the metal mirror scrutinized my own reflection and reassured myself of the closeness of the resemblance my purpose framed in my mind as i did this clearly i was in german quarters and was likely to remain there sooner or later there must be a rescuing party without further ado i set about changing my clothing for that of the german the fit of the dead man's clothes further emphasized the closeness of the physical likeness i recalled my excellent command of the german language and began to wonder what manner of man i was supposed to be in this assumed personality but my most urgent task was speedily to make way with the incriminating corpse with the aid of the brighter flashlight which i found in my new pockets i set out to find a place to hide the body the cold that had so frightened me had now given way to almost normal temperature there was no longer the sound of sizzling steam from the unexplored passageway i followed this and presently came upon another chamber filled with machinery in one corner a huge engine covered with frost gave off a chill greeting on the floor was a steaming puddle of liquid but the breath of this steam cut like a blizzard at once i guessed it this was a liquid air engine the dead engineer in the corner helped reveal the story with his death from the penetrating gas something had gone wrong with the engine the turbine had it blown off and the conveying pipe of liquid air had poured forth the icy blast that had so nearly frozen me along with the corpses of the germans but now the flow of liquid had ceased and the last remnants were evaporating from the floor evidently the supply pipe had been shut off further back on the line and i had little time to lose for rescuers were probably on the way along one of the corridors running from the engine-room i found an open water-drain half choked with melting ice following this i came upon a grating where the water disappeared 
i jerked up the grating and dropped a piece of ice down the well-like shaft i hastily returned and dragged forth the corpse of my double and with it everything i had myself brought into the mine straightening out the stiffened body i plunged it head foremost into the opening the sound of a splash echoed within the dismal depths i now hastened back to the chamber into which i had first fallen and destroyed the scaffolding i had erected there returning to the desk where i had found the man whose clothing i wore i sat down and proceeded to search my abundantly filled pockets from one of them i pulled out a bulky notebook and a number of loose papers the freshest of these was an official order from the imperial office of chemical engineers the order ran as follows captain carl armstadt laboratory one eighty six e fifty eight report is received at this office of the sound of sapping operations in potash mine d five go at once and verify the same in report of condition of gas generators and make analyses of output of the same evidently i was carl armstadt and very happily a chemical engineer by profession my task of impersonation so far looked feasible i could talk chemical engineering the next paper i proceeded to examine was an identification folder done up in oiled fabric thanks to german thoroughness it was amusingly complete on the first page appeared what i soon discovered to be my pedigree for four generations back the printed form on which all this was minutely filled out made very clear statements from which i determined that my father and mother were both dead i carl armstadt twenty-seven years of age was the fourteenth child of my mother and was born when she was forty-two years of age according to the record i was the ninety-seventh child of my father and born when he was fifty-four as i read this i thought there was something here that i misunderstood although subsequent discoveries made it plausible enough there was no further record of my plentiful fraternity but i took heart that the mere fact of the numerical abundance would make unlikely any great show of brotherly interest a presumption which proved quite correct on the second page of this folder i read the number and location of my living quarters the sources from which my meals and clothing were issued as well as the sizes and qualities of my garments and numerous other references to various details of living all of which seemed painstakingly ridiculous at the time i put this elaborate identification paper back into its receptacle and opened the notebook it proved to be a diary kept likewise in thorough german fashion i turned to the last pages and perused them hastily the notes in armstadt's diary were concerned almost wholly with his chemical investigations all this i saw might be useful to me later but what i needed more immediately was information as to his personal life i scanned back hastily through the pages for a time without finding any such revelations then i discovered this entry made some months previously 
i cannot think of chemistry to-night for the vision of katrina dances before me as in a dream it must be a strange mixture of blood-lines that could produce such wondrous beauty in no other woman have i seen such a blackness of hair and eyes combined with such a whiteness of skin i suppose i should not have danced with her now i see all my resolutions shattered but i think it was most of all the blackness of her eyes well what care we live but once i read and re-read this entry and searched feverishly in armstadt's diary for further evidence of a personal life but i only found tedious notes on his chemical theories perhaps this single reference to a woman was but a passing fancy of a man otherwise engrossed in his science but if rescuers came and i succeeded in passing for the german chemist the presence of a woman in my new role of life would surely undo all my effort if no personal acquaintance of the dead man came with the rescuing party i saw no reason why i could not for the time pass successfully as armstadt i should at least make the effort and i reasoned i could best do this by playing the malingerer and appearing mentally incompetent such a ruse i reasoned would give me opportunity to hear much and say little and perhaps so get my bearings in the new role that i could continue it successfully then as i was about to return the notebook to my pocket my hopes sank as i found this brief entry which i had at first scanning overlooked it is twenty days now since katrina and i have been united she does not interfere with my work as much as i feared she even lets me talk chemistry to her though i am sure she understands not one word of what i tell her i think i have made a good selection and it is surely a permanent one therefore i must work harder than ever or i shall not get on this alarmed me yet if armstadt had married he made very little fuss about it evidently it concerned him chiefly in relation to his work but whoever and whatever katrina was it was clear that her presence would be disastrous to my plans of assuming his place in the german world pondering over the ultimate difficulty of my situation but with the growing faith in the plan i had evolved for avoiding immediate explanations i fell into a long postponed sleep the last thing i remember was tumbling from my chair and sprawling out upon the floor where i managed to snap out my light before the much-needed sleep quite overcame me part three i was awakened by voices and opened my eyes to find the place brightly lighted i closed them again quickly as someone approached and prodded me with the toe of his boot here is a man alive said a voice above me he is captain armstadt the chemist said another voice approaching this is good we have special orders to search for him the newcomer bent over and felt my heart i was quite aware that it was functioning normally he shook me and called me by name after repeated shakings i opened my eyes and stared at him blankly but i said nothing presently he left me and returned with a stretcher i lay inertly as i was placed thereon and borne out of the chamber other stretcher-bearers were walking ahead 
we passed through the engine room where mechanics were at work on the damaged liquid air engine my stretcher was placed on a little car which moved swiftly along the tunnel we came into a large subterranean station and i was removed and brought before a bevy of white-garbed physicians they looked at my identification folder and then examined me through it all i lay limp and as near lifeless as i could simulate and they succeeded in getting no speech out of me the final orders were to forward me post-haste to the imperial hospital for complex gas cases after an eventless journey of many hours i was again unloaded and transferred to an elevator for several hundred metres we sped upward through a shaft while about us whistled a blast of cold crisp air at last the elevator stopped and i was carried out to an ambulance that stood waiting in a brilliantly lighted passage arched over with grey concrete i was no longer beneath the surface of the earth but was somewhere in the massive concrete structure of the city of berlin after a short journey our ambulance stopped and attendants came out and carried my litter through an open doorway and down a long hallway into the spacious ward of a hospital from half-closed eyes i glanced about apprehensively for a black-haired woman with a sigh of relief i saw there were only doctors and male attendants in the room they treated me most professionally and gave no sign that they suspected i was other than captain karl armstadt which fact my papers so eloquently testified the conclusion of their examination was voiced in my presence physically he's normal said the head physician but his mind seems in a stupor there is no remedy as the nature of the gas is unknown all that can be done is to await the wearing off of the effect i was then left alone for some hours and my appetite was troubling me at last an attendant approached with some savoury soup he propped me up and proceeded to feed me with a spoon i made out from the conversation about me that the other patients were officers from the underground fighting forces an atmosphere of military discipline pervaded the hospital and i felt reassured in the conclusion that all visiting was forbidden yet my thoughts turned repeatedly to the black-eyed katrina of armstadt's diary no doubt she had been informed of the rescue and was waiting in grief and anxiety to see him so both she and i were awaiting a tragic moment she to learn that her husband or lover was dead i for the inevitable tearing off of my protecting disguise after some days the head physician came to my cot and questioned me i gazed at him and knit my brows as if struggling to think you were gassed in the mine he kept repeating can you remember yes i ventured i went to the mine there was the sound of boring overhead i set men to watch i was at the desk i heard shouting after that i cannot remember they were all dead but you said the doctor all dead i repeated i liked the sound of this and so kept on mumbling all dead all dead part four my plan was working nicely 
but i realized i could not keep up this role forever nor did i wish to for the idleness and suspense were intolerable and i knew that i would rather face whatever problems my recovery involved than to continue in this monotonous and meaningless existence so i convalesced by degrees and got about the hospital and was permitted to wait on myself but i cultivated a slowness and brevity of speech one day as i sat reading the attendant announced a visitor to see you sir trembling with excitement and fear i tensely waited the coming of the visitor presently a stolid-faced young man followed the attendant into the room you remember hochnecht said the nurse he is your assistant at the laboratory i stared stupidly at the man and cold fear crept over me as he with puzzled eyes returned my gaze you're much changed he said at last i hardly recognize you i have been very ill i replied just then the head physician came into the room and seeing me talking to a stranger walked over to us as i said nothing hochnecht introduced himself the medical man began at once to enlarge upon the peculiarities of my condition the unknown gas he explained acted upon the whole nervous system and left profound effects never in the records of the hospital has there been so strange a case hochnecht seemed quite awed and completely credulous his memory must be revived continued the head physician and that can best be done by recalling the dominating interest of his mind captain armstadt was wholly absorbed in his research work in the laboratory offered hochnecht then said the physician you must revive the activity of those particular brain cells with that command the laboratory assistant was left in charge he took his new task quite seriously turning to me and raising his voice as if to penetrate my dulled mentality he began do you not remember our work in the laboratory yes the laboratory the laboratory i repeated vaguely hochnick described the laboratory in detail and gradually his talk drifted into an account of the chemical research i listened eagerly to get the threads of the work i must needs do if i were to maintain my role as armstadt knowing now that visitors were permitted me i again grew apprehensive over the possible advent of katrina but no woman appeared in fact i had not yet seen a woman among the germans always it was hochnecht and strictly according to his orders he talked incessant chemistry part five the day i resumed my normal wearing apparel i was shown into a large lounging room for convalescence i seated myself a short distance apart from a group of officers and sat eyeing another group of large hulking fellows at the far end of the room these i concluded to be common soldiers for i heard the officers in my ward grumbling at the fact that they were quartered in the same hospital with men of the ranks presently an officer came over and took a seat beside me it is very rarely that you men in the professional service are gassed he said you must have a dull life i do not see how you can stand it but certainly i replied it is not so dangerous and for that reason it must be stupid 
i for one think that even in the fighting forces there is no longer sufficient danger to keep up the military morale danger makes men courageous without danger courage declines and without courage what advantage would there be in the military life suppose i suggested the war should come to an end but how can it he asked incredulously how can there be an end to the war we cannot prevent the enemy from fighting but what i ventured if the enemy should decide to quit fighting they have almost quit now he remarked with apparent disgust they are losing the fighting spirit but no wonder they say that the world state population is so great that only two per cent of its men are in the fighting forces what i cannot see is how a people so peaceful can keep from utter degeneration and they say that the world state soldiers are not even bred for soldiering but are picked from all classes if they should decide to quit fighting as you suggest we also would have to quit it would be intolerable it is bad enough now but could you not return to industrial life and do something productive productive sneered the fighter i knew that you professional men had no courage it is not to be expected but i never before heard even one of your class suggest a thing like that a military man do something productive why don't you suggest that we be changed to women and with that my fellow patient rose and turning sharply on his metal heel walked away the officer's attitude toward his profession set me thinking and i found myself wondering how far it was shared by the common soldiers the next day when i came out into the convalescent corridor i walked past the group of officers and went down among the men whose garments bore no medals or insignia they were unusually large men evidently from some specially selected regiment picking out the most intelligent-looking one of the group i sat down beside him is this the first time you've been gassed i inquired third time replied the soldier i should think you would have been discharged discharged said the soldier in a perplexed tone why i am only forty-four years old why should i be discharged unless i get in an explosion and lose a leg or something but you've been gassed three times i said i should think they ought to let you return to civil life and your family the soldier looked hard at the insignia of my rank as captain you professional officers don't know much do you a soldier quit and do common labor now that's a fine idea and a family do you think i'm a hohenzollern at the thought the soldier chuckled me with a family he muttered to himself now that's a fine idea i saw that i was getting on dangerous ground but curiosity prompted a further question then i suppose you have nothing to hope for until you reach the age of retirement unless war should come to an end again the soldier eyed me carefully now you do have some queer ideas there was a man in our company who used to talk like that when no officers were around this fellow his name was montufo said he could read books that he was a forbidden love child and his father was an officer i guess he was forbidden all right for he certainly wasn't right in his head 
he said that he would go out on the top of the ground and march over the enemy country and be shot at by the flying planes like the roof guards if the officers had heard him they would surely have sent him to the crazy ward why he said that the war would be over after that and we would all go to the enemy country and go about as we like and own houses and women and flying planes and animals as if the royal house would ever let a soldier do things like that well i said and why not if the war were over now there you go again how do you mean the war was over what would all us soldiers do if there was no fighting you could work i said in the shops but if we worked in the shops what would the workmen do they would work too i suggested the soldier was silent for a time i think i get your idea he said the eugenic staff would cut down the birth rates so that there would only be enough soldiers and workers to fill the working jobs they might do that i remarked wishing to lead him on well said the soldier returning to the former thought i hope they won't do that until i'm dead i don't care to go up on the ground to get shot at by the fighting planes at least now we have something over our heads and if we are going to get gassed or blown up we can't see it coming at least just then the officer with whom i had talked the day before came up he stopped before us and scowled at the soldier who saluted in hasty confusion i wish captain said the officer addressing me that you would not take advantage of these absurd hospital conditions to disrupt discipline by fraternizing with a private at this the soldier looked up and saluted again well said the officer he's not to blame sir said the soldier he's off his head end of section two